Hey everyone, it's Adesola. One thing you'll notice throughout our conversation is this theme of collaboration, how it can be welcomed but also misunderstood. How Black people and people of color who are able to run their own businesses have to be guarded in what they share because too many examples exist where their goodwill has been taken advantage of and dismissed as overreacting. How there's an added layer of guilt in not being able to fully trust the motives of someone you may know and respect who asks you for help or guidance in your own endeavors. But when collaboration works, is actually reciprocal. That feeling that everyone benefits and everyone grows from the experience is what makes it worth the effort. Sarah talks about how it humanizes people you may not have met in person otherwise, like politicians and local organizations, and can shine a light on people who may never get recognition otherwise. Food collaboration is a chance at celebration, equality, communication. At least that's what we all hoped for. We hope you enjoy this conversation. Let's get it started. I'm Carolyn. And I'm Adesola. And this is Creatives on Deck, an interview-style podcast where we talk to creatives who often find themselves working in two worlds, in their artistic endeavors that make them thrive, and the service jobs that not only fund their livelihoods, but teach them about people. This week, our guest is Sarah Thompson. She's from the East Coast and skipped the whole fucking college experience and spent five years after high school on the West Coast, specifically in California and Tacoma, Washington. She also mistakenly went to culinary school. <laughs> she definitely jokingly put that in. And then ended up working in restaurants, serving, baking, being a barista, and eventually brewing. She moved back to the East Coast, ended up working at the Shamley Creek Brewing Company before moving to New Zealand to learn charcuterie from a butcher in Auckland. Sarah then moved back to Philly and started her own pop-up baking bagels and buttermilk biscuits, which are actually fucking delicious. Her passion lies within community work and collaboration with other community creatives. Currently, she is trying to work with back-of-the-house restaurant workers who were either laid off or who don't get the same recognition as maybe, you know, the chefs or restaurant workers. Once it's safe, Sarah would like to collaborate with artists and musicians to orchestrate community gatherings around food, music, and discussing the needs of working class of Philadelphia. Welcome, Sarah. Hello. How's your day going so far? Hi, hi. Uh, it's been good. It's been, uh, I've been enjoying this nice rainy day. Living on the Pacific Northwest for a while, it like makes me not hate that so much. It's really comforting, actually. So, yeah, been chilling. So why don't we start by you telling us more about the current work you're doing? What is the name of the pop-up that you do with these super delicious sounding biscuits and bagels? So that is uh, Tall Poppy Projects. I named that um, actually after living in New Zealand. So this is like two-part story really quick. In high school, actually, I went to a Quaker boarding school up in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, but I got caught smoking weed so then I had to get drug tested regularly and since I was like five I've always eaten poppy seed bagels before a drug test I had no idea ate like two poppy seed bagels 
tested positive and got expelled from my school for a day. But then my friends, like, yeah, yeah, my friends rallied her. I was not doing opiates. I <laughs> could not, cannot. But yeah, so it, it's just like a joke that I love poppy seed bagels. It's just true. So I moved to New Zealand in 2018, 2019. And that was just like after, you know, I'd been in therapy for two years and was learning how to like own my work and like acknowledge my shit like that you know my accomplishments and like really take pride in that and um then I moved to New Zealand which has this thing called tall poppy syndrome the saying is like the tallest poppy gets cut down first so like you're not supposed to like shine or like stand out or flex or anything because it's seen as being too boastful which is like I was just coming to this point where I was like oh hell yeah like on the shit, uh, you know, like whatever. And then I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, what is tall poppy? And I was like, fuck it. I am a tall poppy. And that was like, tall poppy projects is my creative outlet from the food world. I get to make biscuits or it started out being bagels and just collaborate with other friends in the industry. So since COVID, I've been making buttermilk biscuits sandwiches biscuits and gravy as of next week don't tell anyone and then uh, <laughs> you heard it here first <laughs> by now when you're listening i know right like two job. months later exactly <laughs> yeah so that's what i've been doing that's what tall poppy projects is just a space to like share my work when i read your bio and i saw the thing about new zealand one of the first things that popped into my mind is how do people in the service industry get treated there? Is it like very different? Is it pretty much the same? It's pretty different. <laughs> like, so oh, for one, you're laughing, right? <laughs> yeah. So for one, tipping's not really a thing there. Like if you go to a fine dining restaurant, you would tip, but you would tip like maybe 10%, but everybody makes a living wage. I just can't even, like, everybody pretty much gets a 401k. Like, it's not exactly called a 401k, but, like, I worked and your employer pays into this, you know, savings plan and then the government pays into the savings plan. So it's just, wow. like, I can't emphasize, it's just, like, so much more secure. It's just, <laughs> you know, their minimum, yeah, I was making 20 bucks an hour, which in U.S. money I think is not a ton it's like probably what they're fighting for minimum wage wise in the u.s right now and not passing but uh if there is any like slight stigma around it like in the way that there is here it's i feel like it's pretty slight because it seems like they really value creating goods and services and stuff like that and because it is such a country like they don't have online shopping really mm. i was talking about this this morning you really do have to just go down the street and buy. So you can't really order stuff to get sent to you. Like you, you buy stuff at the store all day for sure. You know, mm -hmm. but, um, as far as like, not that you would really order baked goods, there really is a stronger emphasis on like local made. There are some chains, but like not in the same way as here. And so I think there is just innately a little bit more like value put on creators in that way or like bakers chefs etc brewers yeah because I was gonna ask if it's like just because everything's so local so you know the people working these jobs and you know the work that goes into it because you they're your neighbors yeah. yeah I mean I and to some degree I think there will always be like people who have more money are just gonna like 
turn up their nose at other people (laughs) to some degree as far as somebody going into a restaurant and being served on. Like, I think there will always be a little bit of a power dynamic. But that being said, I, I wasn't a server in New Zealand, so I couldn't really say. But that's just the impression I got. And like, if you are putting up with bullshit, like you're getting paid for it, like, well, you know, <laughs> so I think I think that's why a lot of people. Yeah, a lot of us here are like, if we're going to have to deal with this shit, like at least pay us. Just pay like, give me some security. Money. Give me health yeah. insurance. Give me like yeah. retirement. Like, I think that's that's a big difference. And I, I will say, like, reiterate that, like, I did not work as like a standard service job. So I cannot speak for people who maybe did have to wait on assholes. So. <laughs> yeah. But what was it like learning down there how to do charcuterie from the person that mentored you? So I worked for this woman. Uh, her name's Hannah. She has a lady butcher is her business and she does whole muscle charcuterie. Although now since I've left, she and her husband opened a restaurant and she does like full nose to tail butchery. And she's actually been out of the States, I think, when I was working with her three years ago. I can't believe it's been that long. She'd been out of the States for like 11 years. So she's probably been, you know, moved away from the States for like 15 years or so now. So anyway, I just like wanted to change. I I think I'd been talking about doing it. So I was just like, you know, I had just gone through a breakup and I was like, fuck it. Like, I'm going to fucking, I want to be alone. I kept joking that I like moving to New Zealand because I wanted to be alone. I was like, I need to be alone. When we moved to like an island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, like across the planet. Uh, And it was, yeah, and it was great. Um, You know, I I knew nothing about butchering, especially nothing about charcuterie. And she was really, really patient with me because I'm a slow learner only, I think, because I make sure I'm doing things thoroughly. So she was really patient throughout that. Like, it took me a while to get the hang of things because I was like, all right, everything has to be to the exact right number of grams. Like, I don't want to do over under and like, I want to make sure I have the math right for this ratio curing and all that. I think she learned a lot in teaching me. It was a nice dynamic because I think I've had a lot of work experiences where I jump into something I've never done before. Like brewing was like that. And then I have this moment of like, what have I done? Like, you know, like I'm so in over my head and I feel like I just made this huge mistake and like people expect me to know what to do and blah, blah, blah. And she was really like very fucking patient with me. And I wish I could like go back and like learn more stuff from her now because now she's doing way more stuff before she was doing just whole muscle charcuterie and now like which is your prosciutto, pancetta, bacon. I don't want to assume anybody knows, but it's like the whole muscle as opposed to like a sausage, which is ground meat. Plus she because she had been an American immigrant in New Zealand which is a weird sentence like that's a weird phrase you know (laughs) she was able to like kind of help me figure out how to like ease my way in she was like people don't really tip at bars here so if you tip the bartenders will serve you first and like blah 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 you know like she was giving me that kind of stuff and it was a cool experience for sure I mean would you ever consider moving and doing what she did somewhere else Oh, yes and no. Um, I actually just started talking about going to Puerto Rico, maybe. (laughs) Yeah. So my 
partner and I, our leases are up in August and we were like, what if, and our two of our good friends live there and our farmers there. And just with COVID and feeling like I'm not, I don't want to say spinning my wheels, but like, I really do like shaking things up. Like I moved to the West coast, I moved to California, then I moved to Washington, then I moved back and then I moved to New Zealand. You know, I'm just like, as much as I don't really want to make that a habit, there is something nice about like, all right, like put yourself in this situation that like you haven't done before. So part of me is like, yeah, I think that'd be cool. But then I'm like, what are the logistics of like, maintaining relatively low temperatures and like humidity in Puerto Rico for charcuterie. Mm-hmm. Also like, I don't know what the market for charcuterie is in the case, <laughs> like yeah. <laughs> this is where we'd be. So like maybe, but I don't know. I will say I would not go back to New Zealand. Like if I did, I would uh-huh. visit, like I do want to visit, but yeah, they have like a lot of systemic racism as well that they also like just don't like to acknowledge because New Zealand's put up on this pedestal of like look at this great little socialist country that like you know has healthcare and blah 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 never mind the fact that Maori people and like Pacifica people make up like 95% of the prisons you know it's like the same bullshit and they're building more prisons on this tiny island you know it's just so I just want to I always want to put that out there because I think people really do try to make New Zealand like this little haven. And I'm like, mm-hmm. they got issues too. Yeah. Yeah. Same like with so. Canada, I feel. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. Oh God. Everyone's just like, oh, Canada. Like, please stop saying Canada is this like, holy, like fucking Mecca over here where everything disappears. Mm-mm. No. <laughs> no. Absolutely it's not. not. The same shit's happening up there. That's happening here. But they're happening longer. (laughs) And they're not as loud. It's because Americans are rude about it. And then Kiwis and Canadians are like polite and nice. And it's like, yeah, it's still there. They're just not like, you know, running out with tiki torches. (laughs) 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 Would you even want to like put yourself in like a a teacher-ish, like mentor more mode? Like I think you said Hannah was for you. I would love to. I am. I have like no patience is my issue. (laughs) It's like, I, I love the idea of doing that, but I know I'm not a patient person. Like I'm like teaching my boyfriend how to parallel park. And I'm like, why can't you do this? That can be really (laughs) tricky. Cause if someone really doesn't know, it gets very frustrating. Really oh, I'm just like, really I don't, bad. I don't understand why you don't understand this. <laughs> just because I'm like teachers, I'm like, God bless you. Cause I don't have that. Like, so I don't know if I could do that, but I could probably write some guides. Cause it's really, <laughs> I would love to think that I could, but I just like, I don't know. That's some like ingrained shit. I'm like, where did I learn this from? Where did I learn this lack of patience? Like, <laughs> it's bananas um i think it would be cool to teach classes and then have like assistants like you can share that because yeah like ultimately certain things like curing meat isn't hard it's like weighing the meat and then doing ratios of salt and sugar and spices like based on that weight it's really not that hard so it's like you know just explaining that and I don't know it's food preservation which is like another cool thing as far as collaborating last pop-up I did I did with somebody 
his name's Al, uh, and he is a service industry worker. He's right now brewing at ti- or maybe production assistant at Tired Hands. But I met him when I was bartending at Fermentary Forum in Philly. And I was like, ooh, I see you like black line cook, kind of on the sideline, loves beer. I was like, all right, what's up? And we just talked and stuff like that. And he made these really dope wings. I thought of him because I was thinking doing like fried chicken on a biscuit sandwich, you know. And <laughs> Carol, so, you got yes. so excited. <laughs> <laughs> so I hit him up and was like, dog, you do this really dope Al signature thing. Like, let's do that. Like, that should be your, you know, you already have a signature sauce like let's do that on a biscuit this is somebody who maybe people wouldn't know worked at like such and such restaurant especially back of house people and front of house too but like they get so lost behind like these chef or restaurant owner faces yeah and a lot of times like you can know like find out somebody worked someplace and you're like I had no idea And so I like want to, you know, work with folks who worked in kitchen, maybe didn't get recognition. I'm like, I know you make dope food. Like, let's do something together. So next week, my friend Jesse, who's a really rad butcher and they're from North Carolina. And I was like, dude, let's make biscuits and gravy. Like you make the gravy, I'll make the biscuits. So that's happening. Yeah. 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 Love sausage gravy. As far as future events i would love for there to be like an outdoor fair or like festival kind of thing that's just local creatives i was at the um that count every vote rally thing in center city after the election like where they were you know at the convention center and it was a big old fucking party outside and that's really what made me think of it too is like i know south philly barbacoa was there giving out food And it was just like, people were masked up. The people were like dancing to DJs. And I was like, I would love to get like Doogie from Vinyl Tap to spin records and like Black the Ninth Man spinning records, people making food, people dancing just outside and like guest speakers of like local like council people. That's exactly what this thing was Mm -hmm. in Center City. It was like you had councilwoman Helen Geim speaking and like Kendra Brooks and like all the, I don't know. I, I think it's just like important to feel that close to your political representatives and then like maybe and like I think it's just important to see these people so closely and see they maybe didn't have years of political experience and yet they're like representing me so right now I'm actually working with 215 People's Alliance and I'm doing some work with the Coalition Restaurant Safety and Health doing just like organizing of restaurant workers and like figuring out the needs and wants of restaurant workers And, like, a dream of mine is, like, I wish there's, like, a political party for, like, like how there's working families party, but, like, if there was, like, a restaurant workers representative, Mm. like, and not restaurant owner lobbyists, you know, (laughs) just, like, fucking restaurant workers. How many pop-ups have you done so far? Like, when did you start doing them? My very first one was in 2019. So, I, yeah, I moved to New Zealand in 2018. My grandma actually passed away in April of 2019 and I came back for two weeks and I don't even remember how it happened, but I was back in the States for two weeks and spent like a chunk of that time in Philly and ended up like I had been telling a friend of mine who owns Liberty Kitchen that like I know how to make bagels and he was like, here, dude, like come in tomorrow and make bagels. And so that was my first (laughs) pop up. 
was like my two weeks home. And then I think that's when I had the idea of, I was like, oh, this is going to be called Tall Poppy. So then I came back and probably since I moved back in like fall of 2019, I think I've done six more. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> yeah. What is time? We yeah, don't know. I have no idea. I'm like, I'm just counting numbers on my hands. I don't know if they mean anything. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember how this idea came around, but I was like, I want to do bagel church. Oh, and so <laughs> I made bagels and was like blasting gospel. You could hear gospel music from the street. And I grew up, like, my grandma lived in the Bronx, and we would spend time, like, not a ton of time with her every year, which, you know, looking back always, it's like, oh, this sucks that I didn't spend more time with her. But um, she would take us to her, like, black Jamaican Baptist church in the Bronx, and, like, just loud-ass, like, gospel music. I got stepped on by a pastor, like, you know, like, (laughs) just, like, in my little church dress and everything. It was cool to have that, I think, around, especially, like, the first ever pop-up was, like, around the time that she passed away. And then, like, doing this one that was, like, Bagel Church, we're going to, like, eat together and, like, play gospel music and all that. My old house has a pop-up they do that's, like, a pop-up bake sale in West Philly. And 100% of the proceeds go to um, CBTEL, which is the Coalition of Black and Trans Economic Liberation. So I made Jamaican beef patties, which was something I always got. That was like our treat for going to church church. uh, with my grandma. I was like, all right, we get golden crust patties after. Like after this like six, seven hour church service where we got up at like five in the morning. (laughs) Yeah. You're like, oh my God. My mom and I would go to golden crust and get Mm. our... It's so good. (sighs) I stand by it to this day. I just bought some hard dough bread not long ago. I was like, oh, all the memories come flooding back. Yes. <laughs> Wake up I at like four in the morning. So fucking early. So fucking early. I would just look at the clock. It was like 4.30. It's like, all right, we all take showers. We all get our like, dresses <laughs> and we get our hair brushed. Rubbing oh. olive oil on your skin. Yes. <laughs> oh, God, black people. Uh-huh. Oh, God. <laughs> But let's back it up a little bit. Uh, you want to tell us? No, 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 you're good. I just, I just want to yeah. talk about uh, your first service job and what age Ooh. you were when you got into it initially. <sighs> That's okay. So that <laughs> I grew up in the eastern shore of Maryland, which is very like rural on the Chesapeake Bay, mm-hmm. and I worked at a sailing camp actually. So. Uh, That's not exactly service industry, but it was literally, I fucking taught Dick Cheney's grandchildren how to sail. Like, it was that level of, like, rich white. And then you got, like, hi, me there. (laughs) And I think, like, I I cannot imagine, like, I think we were able to go because my dad was on the board at the Yacht Club or something. Like, I don't know. Like, so we were, like, the only black kids at, like, very wealthy white sailing camp. And then I worked at an ice cream shop. And I think that was when I was like, ooh, I get to, like, scoop ice cream, hand something over, take money. And I was probably like 15, maybe. And I was like, Oh, I like this. Like this feeling is good. (laughs) You know, like I get to like, feel like I made something, even if it's like scooping ice cream into a cone and like hand it over and get money. When I moved to California, I was working at this organic salad shop 
in fucking Palo Alto, California. Oh, like wow. I joked that it was like the start of the gluten-free movement because <laughs> I I remember having a Stanford student come in and be like, I'm trying out gluten-free. Can you remake the salad? Because bread touched it. Meanwhile, like one of my best friends had celiac and I was like, I know that this isn't how this works, <laughs> especially if you're trying it out. I just remember getting screamed at by some customer on my first day who like made up a sandwich over the phone, came in, it was wrong, told me I was incompetent and pretty much like cursed me out. And I was like 18 and I just started like crying. Oh. <laughs> and my and like I like waited until she left and just like managed to just give her this like what the fuck face the whole time. And then fortunately my boss was so cool and was like, don't worry you're doing a great job and that was my like all right I got this one cry out now we're good like you know and that was my like indoctrination I feel like to like service industry bullshit so (laughs) it's not that it's been better but like I know what bullshit to expect besides the awful woman screaming at you were there people along the way that really taught you good things about service industry and how to work together oh yeah okay so where do I even start I just want to say like um the things I learned from the service industry I feel like it's almost never from the employer with the exception of that one time with the butcher that I worked that we were Mm one-on-one it is always with my peers like my service industry homies are like my absolute ride or die I'm like I don't know where I'd be without the service industry because like I see my friends who have not worked service industry and who are like how do I make friends as an adult and I'm like I don't you you suffer together that's how (laughs) so like one of my really close friends like I worked with him at the the place where I got screamed at the salad restaurant in California and that was dope because working with him just gave me room to sort of like breathe and like laugh at some shit and like feeling cared for in places where I wouldn't expect it I think that's something that surprises me within the industry and then there's the opposite too you know (laughs) where that you do get that person that's like oh you're so exotic blah 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 like I remember somebody at Tria saying that to (laughs) one of my friends I was the only woman at a brewery that was all white dudes and I remember having to explain something that happened to me as being shitty to somebody like to a guy who like would not have otherwise understood like this this dude who didn't work at the brewery came in was like where are you from? Where's your family from? What's your ethnicity? I think I said I'm half white, half black or something, or I have Jamaican. And I fucking didn't mean to say Jamaican. And like, then he was, oh, I knew, I knew you were an Islander or something. And I'm like, oh, fuck's sake. Like, and then I was all pissed off at work. Cause that like, oh. this guy's all like validated. Like, oh, I have Puerto Rican neighbors. And I'm like, the fuck like you know like you know and like I was just all pissed you know pissed off at work and like explained to one of my coworkers, and they were like you know like oh I don't have to think about that but like that sucks I'm sorry you're frustrated you know like and they know me and care about me and they're like oh fuck like that's I would never have thought about this thing I don't know you learn how to operate within spaces where it's like I can't just write this person off and be like fuck this person I'm not going to interact with them I have done that before but it's a, it doesn't make it fun but 
Do you feel like from some of the interactions that you had with coworkers where you had to explain things, do you feel like you had to explain a lot? Like you had to put on a teacher role or a representation role uh, a lot more than you wanted to? I think yes, in some places, which sucks to have to do. Because you can do the thing of just not saying anything, but then that doesn't feel good either. Yeah, I have definitely had to play teacher's role. It's, again, in those spaces that was like maybe like more cis white dude centered or white women bosses, where I had to really like gently, unfortunately, fucking eye roll because I didn't necessarily feel safe to be like, this is this. It's like I felt like I couldn't directly express things out of like fear of safety for my job or just like Mm -hmm. discomfort if it's just me so but like again I couldn't just sit there and not say anything because that didn't feel good either so having to be like all right imagine what it might be like for somebody like why do you think this is like that really having to baby it down and be like oh I noticed you're saying that these areas of the city are really shitty do you think it's because they aren't getting proper fund? Isn't that set? Oh, how interesting. They happen to all be black and brown people that are affected disproportionately. Whoa, look at that. You know, like really doing a lot of that. So, yes, I've absolutely done that. And it's fucking exhausting. But like I said, it did like it for me feels worse to not say anything because I just then I'm just in my head and really angry. And like stewing. And so I'm like, let me just try to, you know, so there's that aspect of it too. You uh, mentioned guarding yourself and your pace in all of this too. Do you feel like some of that was built in from some of these experiences and like general service industry experience of just being like, I got to put up a wall right now? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I think there's, you. it's that like picking your battles kind of thing. I saw you interviewed D. We've talked about this. D's like, you know, there's a lot of shit I won't say. And then, like, I yeah, I pick my battles. And, like, yeah. when I pick it, I fucking bring receipts. Like, I got, like, you yeah, know, I back that shit up. So, yeah, it's, like, when you do have that. And I, I've had a conversation with the work where I was, like, I know you guys will handle this well. But, like, this is where I'm fucking saying something. It, mm-hmm. Again, it was handled well, but I was just like, all right, this person said this. The, none of you said anything. I'm over here having to sit at work and think about this. And like, this is super uncool, blah, blah, blah you know, so. Mm-hmm. But there is unfortunately just some level of having to let things kind of like go over your head or whatever, which is also how <laughs> infuriating the whole snowflake conversation is or whatever you want to call it. Like people who are like too sensitive. It's like, mm-hmm. if you only knew the bullshit I filtered through, like, you know, if I got yeah. mad about every little thing and so I'm getting mad about these things, like I would only be screaming forever if I was yeah. like, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, yeah, yeah, like you're telling me I'm too sensitive. I'm like, oh, my fucking God, if you only knew like <laughs> how much I'm not calling out. I actually texted a day about this earlier where I was like, I want to add in a question about fusion restaurants and how you feel about Oof. those. <laughs> I'll give you a real answer. I don't fucking know, honestly. Sometimes I'm like, I don't give a shit. I don't give a shit. And then sometimes I'm like, but then I'll see something and be like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, are we really doing this? Like, 
fusion is so complicated and like cultural appropriation with food yeah because i i don't even joke that like you know oh if people of color do it it's fine because like sometimes it's like no that's gross too it's so case by case i just like couldn't possibly generalize i think when white folks do it i'm like like (laughs) think about it think about it a little bit come prepared to like talk about this food and not just like oh I had this thing once and I thought it was cool and so I'm gonna say this and call it authentic or not even authentic or just like I don't know it's annoying to like have stuff borrowed and then be like not have to think about it yeah and I think that goes for everyone too I will say that's not just white folks I think that's everyone it's like think about what you're doing and like the uh implications that might come with that I hate the word authentic like that that's what I can I can put my stamp on like fuck that word fuck anyone who like because there's no such thing as authentic food is evolving forever you're putting people in a box if you're like this is authentic blah 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 like whatever food it's like like for me living in a place like Fishtown that is like the hotbed of fusion food of white men specifically coming in and bringing these like ideas of this is new i created this out of my ass and like you should like totally i will triple the price and then all the white Uh. people eat that shit up because they see it as like oh i'm in fishtown i have to eat this because this would make me look cool this would make me do it's super uncomfortable as (laughs) as like a black person living here because i'm just like (sighs) <sighs> I'm just so exhausted. I'm oh, so yeah. exhausted. I will say on this note of like that, I, I, it's that, it's that audacity. You're like, how dare you? Like, it's just bananas. Like I would never, I don't feel comfortable doing that about Jamaican food. And I grew up eating Jamaican food and my grandma gave me her recipe. I don't know. I'm not going to be like, this is authentic. Like I just, I saw like a list of like Philly's top best like Jamaican restaurants and the ones I go to are not on it. And I was like, (laughs) okay, all right. And I've been to a lot of the ones on that list and they're like, they're all right. They're okay. I'm like, they're not the best ones. I'm going to keep that to myself. Thank you. (laughs) I remember when South Philly Barbacoa, I think had moved to their new spot. Mm -hmm. I think it was around then where another restaurant asked them if they could like come by and see how they do everything and literally mission taqueria and Mm -hmm. was just like cool we're gonna do this now Mm -hmm. I don't know if they've like smoothed everything over since then or not I know I haven't gotten a mission since because I was like (laughs) that's pretty fucked yeah because I know they also made her feel very uncomfortable in her space from what I understood like they like you know, might have been a miscommunication, like mistranslation or something, but it sounded like she was not comfortable having them in her kitchen and they just kind of like pushed their way in. I know there was an article, but I'm basing this off the article I read. Mm -hmm. And then there's obviously some defense against that. But like, I think, you know, like, yeah, I think you're aware. I mean, you know, there is a big difference between like covert sneaking around a restaurant, taking notes and copying a dish verse being straight up with someone and saying, hey, we're opening a new spot. We think we want to have this creating some type of mutually beneficial arrangement where both of you exist and the food is still honored for the craft that it is and is still accessible to people at a price point that's fair for the people who grew up with it. 
I think that's a huge part of it is understanding the community where it comes from. If you're just like, oh, I'm going to take this and make money off of it and like not give a fuck about, you know, people who like might be trying to make similar food and like aren't getting the same recognition. Like, I don't know. There's just a lot of there's a lot. There's a huge power dynamic in that. This is something that I thought was interesting is um, like a white chef asked me, like, you know, what I price something on my menu as and you know at first I was like I don't know how I feel about this because I was like I know that you're getting an idea for your menu and like and I'm friends with this person and I was like I I know it's not an issue but like I had told another like white chef friend about it and my buddy was like if you give him any information about your menu you should ask for something in return and I was like, I'm not going to do that. Like, I could, but that it just feels unnecessary. And then it just gave me this kind of, like, glance into this weird transactional, like, uh, give and take, maybe, mm-hmm. that exists in some level that I just don't fuck with, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, like, me and the original chef, I think, like, we're, like, we're good. I've borrowed shit from his kitchen. He's borrowed stuff from mine. It just, like, gave me this glimpse of something that I was just, like, I, and maybe this is naive of me, but I'm, like, that's not the kind of work I want to be doing with my food. I want it to be much more community-oriented and, like, exchanges, like, what I have with the original chef in this story. Like, seeing people in a more communal way as opposed to competition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Something that, like, I'm dreaming of that apparently I think they were working on with the Coalition of Restaurant Safety and Health and 215 People's Alliance is, like, maybe a uh, restaurant rating guide Mm. that, like, rates. And I maybe this doesn't totally speak to what we were just talking about, but, like, rating restaurants on how they treat their employees, how they, like, pay their staff, et cetera, et cetera we put big old grades on like their sanitation. It's like, why aren't we, I don't want to say rewarding good behavior, but like acknowledging. Yeah. That would actually be really cool. Cause I mean, yeah. If people want to get more invested in the idea of community and um, mutual aid, it's like, all right, well, if we know this place treats their employees well, then we want to, we want to spread that ability for everyone to benefit from that. Yeah. So it's like you have to be a conscious consumer as well, which is difficult. I think people don't want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's easier to just like go along for the ride. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So getting to what you do for creative free time, how did you get your mentality to be when I craft things, I want them to be for functional use? <laughs> I was thinking about that before this call and I was like, I think I literally just don't know how to do anything else. Like I, even when I try to like, I feel like I've had like ideas for like sculptures and stuff. Cause I do ceramics, but like, I just want to make a bowl. I just want to make a cup. Like I just want to make something I can use. And maybe that comes out of like survivalist or scarcity mindset thing. It's like, I need to make things that I can use. Cause otherwise, like, I also just hate junk. Uh, I've said this about food too. Like I, I operate really well within boundaries, like, or like a guideline. And so I can make a mug and that's like, it's a functional mug. I can use it as a cup to drink out of. But then once that's made, I can fuck around with the glazes. I can fuck around with patterns on it. I can fuck around with like firing temperatures. 
same with food. It's like I I I have biscuits. I can make biscuits. I have the recipe for biscuits. But then I get to fuck around with with what goes on it. You know, it's like I got this like base level thing, and then not that I mean biscuits. <laughs> biscuits are functional either way but <laughs> like yeah I, I think the, I don't know if it's an anxiety about like com- complete freedom to do that or if that's just like my brain doesn't really work that way I don't want to mm. say that either but like as far as like abstraction I think my brain it does not tend to go towards there. I don't know why. You also mentioned in the pre-interview questions that you've been hand dyeing things. Did some of that interest come from some of the food science you've learned over the years? Sort of, yeah. So that I actually, it's only been since COVID I started dyeing stuff and I actually talked to Emily Harris and uh, my friend Nicole, both who do stunning like natural dyeing. And yeah, some of it is like I, we go through a million avocados a week at my restaurant. And so I just asked for the avocado pits and onion skins. And I know those are two things that die really well. Yeah. Part of it's just like reuse of something and it's a fun experiment thing. I don't know. Again, yeah. also functional. I got some blankets now. <laughs> hand dyed some I saw that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think my final question is... We've touched on community and how much that plays a part in what you do and how you make decisions in your crafts and also your work. So I kind of just wanted to spend a a little set amount of time discussing what community means to you and how it came to mean that to you. For me, the reason I like the service industry the reason I like food and like feeding people, it's like, I'm obviously not doing it for money because I don't make a lot of money. Like, and also like with my pop-ups, I pay the people who work for me the same amount that I pay myself mm-hmm. and anything extra either goes, it gets donated or it goes towards the expense of the next pop-up. So it's like, there's something, and I feel like a lot of people feel this way. There's something just like so comforting about being able to share an experience with people and being able to have them be in on that. And, and that's why even some of the pop-ups I feel like that are just really transactional, that doesn't feel as satisfying to me. Like, I'm like, yeah, you're giving me your money, but it's not like we're not engaging and that doesn't even feel really good. I'm like, Oh, like you're just paying for a product. Like, there's no like connection here. Because, like, I'm trying to use my platform a little bit for, like, talking about what's going on in Philly. Like, I'm all about, like, populist ideology and, like, a working party. And, like, I think people participate in food. Like, people who buy food and go to restaurants and stuff like that. And, like, they're just missing this understanding of food workers and everything we've talked about, everything that goes behind it. And how you would not have the food industry without service workers. Like it just, you wouldn't, we are the workforce behind it. And I think advocating for that and showcasing that. And that's like why I'm working with people who are like maybe less seen in the industry or whatever is being like, we're here. Like we need representation. We are a community. 
like everybody in the service industry knows somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. It's just like a really intense connection. And I want people to understand that, like patrons to understand that and to be on board and to be like, we support not just the food you're making for us that we can take a picture of, but like we support the people behind this. And so that's like, I think that's what the platform I'm trying to expand on and be like you can participate as a consumer can participate in this and understand like what we the workers are going through and are fighting for or are like suffering from like this is like the shit we're dealing with and like we really need to be taken care of in the way that we've been taking care of you And that concludes our interview with Sarah Thompson. You can find her biscuits on Instagram at tallpoppy underscore projects. Sarah also wanted everyone to check out 215 People's Alliance, the People's Kitchen, and the Coalition for Restaurant Safety and Health. You can find Creatives on Deck on any podcast streaming platform and on Instagram at Creatives on Deck. Got a question? Send us an email, creativesondeck at gmail.com. See you next week. I